Gemma, and this is, uh, I think, like the 12th episode of Money, no, the 11th episode of Money Can't Buy You Class. Hey, I'm Phoebe. As Gemma just said, this is the 11th episode of Money Can't Buy You Class, um, an ongoing conversation about uh, reality TV and its like social and political like implications uh, on like American contemporary culture, but like in a fun way. Yeah, we make it. We make it really fun. <laughs> um, today we're uh, really excited because we're joined by our friend Emmett Matheson, uh, and we're gonna talk about a lot of different things. But um, mostly, we're gonna kind of talk about ideas of the future and uh, Russian cosmism, uh, biocosmism, Baudrillard. A lot of good stuff today, and we're going to kind of enter that through recent Keeping Up with the Kardashian episodes, where the Robert Kardashian hologram is displayed. Yeah, so just quick, because I know a lot of our listeners, um, you know, they don't they don't watch as uh, with, with as much rigidity as Gemma and I watch this show. Um, so the the hologram episode. Um, is the third to last episode of the final season. Um, and it's kind of a mashup of like many weeks worth of happenings within the Kardashian clan. Um, the, you know, you would think that the Robert Kardashian hologram would be like the centerpiece and the Robert Kardashian hologram, as some of you may know, happens when Kim took, what was that like famous cringy Instagram post, like 40 of my closest friends to a private island because we're yeah. so sick of COVID. So that's when the hologram happened and there's a lot of controversy Yeah, on the island. There's a lot of controversy. So what they kind of did with the episode is they sandwiched the hologram between the, the kind of Kim's like hero arc narrative journey story about failing the baby bar and then continuing to take it a second time. And then they sandwiched all of that between their like weird social minutia that all of them, not only do all of their names begin with the letter K, their birthdays all happen like within six weeks of each other. Yeah. So this is the episode that we're talking about. Emmett, what were your what were your takeaways, impressions? Because you're not you're not an avid watcher of the Kardashians, right? This is one of the first episodes you you watched. Yeah, this was the first episode I'd ever seen. Actually, it was the hologram episode, and I really loved it. I thought it was great. Um, I love the enigma of, of Kanye West in the episode that, that he doesn't show up at all, that the, his only presence is through this hologram of Robert Kardashian that he gives to Kim for her birthday. That's what it was, right? It was Kim's birthday, and it was yeah. his birthday present to Kim, and he comes back. I didn't. I honestly didn't know that he was dead, um, but I guess <laughs> that's implied by the hologram because they wouldn't have made a hologram of him if he were still alive. Right. Well, that's. I think that's a huge 
theme about the hologram that I'm eager to dive into is this resurrection element. Absolutely, yeah. And and who gets resurrected? Totally. Um, I mean, yeah. So so Gemma and Phoebe recommended that I read Baudrillard uh, from sim, sim, Simulation and Simulacra, or vice versa, um, about holograms, which is really cool. And you know, there were parts in the episode where I was saying it feels like Kim is quoting Baudrillard. Um, I want to find this thing that I wrote down about what she was saying afterwards, where she's talking about her experience of watching this hologram. Uh, let's find it. What does she say? She says, it was so real, so emotional, so lifelike. Hearing my dad talk to me about law school and my journey, it was a sign that I needed to want to continue this journey. Talking about like, oh, she was doubting whether or not she wanted to go to law school. She saw the hologram of her dad that Kanye West gave to her for her birthday. Is resurrected Robert Kardashian speaking in his own voice. Somehow, I actually, I have no idea how they did that. But anyway, she says, even though it's a hologram, it's a metaphor for him watching over my life. And it's like, wow, that's exactly what Baudrillard is saying. He says, nothing resembles itself and holographic reproduction, like all fantasies of the exact synthesis or resurrection of the real, is already no longer real, is already hyper-real. And it's like, I don't know, I was thinking about the uncanny valley in AI, which for anyone who doesn't know, is the idea that uh, when you replicate human consciousness or create a simulation of human consciousness in any way, there's the point between the real and the reproduction where it's just between the two and it's not real or fake. Like you don't have the aura of reality or the aura of illusion right between. And it, it triggers revulsion and violence in the human who sees it and experiences it. Um, so I was really curious because when they show the hologram in the episode, it's like all the lights cut out and then they have the hologram and they cut back on. And I was not sure whether like all the Kardashians were going to be like disgusted and feeling violent, but they were all crying. So like there was clearly, it wasn't quite uncanny valley yet. There was something really weird about it. I don't know. What did you guys think about it? That to me, that sparks so much in me. I was thinking a lot in that episode about the relationship between mannequins and holograms. Um, because as I said, one of the themes of this episode is, is the birthday and the notion of the gift. Um, and the hologram is Kanye's gift uh, to Kim. And then uh, for Chris's birthday, Chris is the mom, the matriarch, Kim gifts her with 65 mannequins, 65 outfits of, to like symbolize 65 years. And there's this whole part in the beginning about how Kim like wanted to buy like 65 wigs for the mannequins so they could look exactly like um, Kris Jenner. That, that was like this very interesting like mimicry or doubling that was going on. And it's all under the guise of the gift. I was thinking about two more things which was the relationship then between failure and resurrection or the hologram, because, you know, Kim is looking for the sign because she failed the test. And then Robert Kardashian kind of comes back to her in the resurrection and like shows her the way, but actually the person who programmed like the AI who programmed the hologram to speak was Kanye, which brings up this whole like Oedipal relationship between like the husband and the father and like, I don't know, maybe they're like both short men or something. And that's why Kim's like attracted to them. That wasn't very related to what you just said, but it, but that, that kind of brought up that stuff for me. But I was really surprised too, 
when they were all crying and maybe it's because they were on TV, but like, I don't know. I, I feel as though if you saw somebody who was close to you, who had died as a hologram, you'd probably be pretty weirded out. I, I, I don't know that you would feel like this kind of compassion or pain for your loss. I mean, you might, but I thought that that was, I thought the part of the reason this episode was kind of interesting is because I didn't really believe their reaction. I feel like it might've been a little bit of like a weird thing that Kanye did. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just have not watched the Kardashians enough to know like which aspects of what they're doing could be construed as authentic and which aspects are just like spectacle. But um, it seemed kind of like they were actually moved by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also don't know anything about Robert Kardashian as a person. So I don't know how close that was to like, I don't know, Robert Kardashian prime. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, OJ's lawyer. I know that. Okay. That's that's actually the one thing I know about him. Okay. Um, but I've never like heard him speak or seen a video of him. So like, I don't know if if there were if that like like I don't know how they rebuilt his voice if they had recordings of him and they just spliced the words together. But the natural language flow. Uh, sounded pretty smooth like it was an AI yeah. or something like that an AI natural language or speech synthesis has gotten way better at imitating voices recently um, so this would have been like the last year or so right so the AI could have done it and if it was like I don't know if it was like 90% there then the, the slip-ups would sound kind of cute but if it was 99% there any slight variance that's almost imperceptible would become totally grotesque and horrifying i think right but like you know what i mean if you see like this resurrected hologram of your dead father and it's there is any indication that it's an illusion like this is what baudrillard is talking about yeah find it um he says yeah and the hologram it is the imaginary aura of the devil that is mercilessly trapped so he's saying like when we're looking at a hologram we're actually looking for uh, this layer that tells us that it's an illusion, that it's not the real, like that mm-hmm. might be the glimmer on the edge of the human body in this case, or it might be some flicker in the laser light that's producing it. It says similitude is a dream and must remain one in order for a modicum of illusion in the stage of the imaginary to exist. So like you, it's clearly a hologram when you're looking at it because you have that veil of light around it and like there are imperfections in the speech. But if those things were not totally traceable, this video would go from being like maybe moving and and touching and like a nice gift to being something that is absolutely horrifying, and grotesque, and triggers like unspeakable urges towards violence. In <laughs> camp and yeah. <laughs> well, I keep I also keep thinking about um, you know the verisimilitude like of, of of like who Kim is like as a person, J- just even just even like with. I mean, I think that it's a, it's always a difficult question, like how much is authentic and how much is just like her, like cheesing it up for the camera. But I think that that, that actually really comes into play because she, I mean, she's, she's very much so a fake person and it's very much so like a simulated reality that they're living as reality and that they have to confront as reality each time that they're being filmed. 
you know what I mean? Like, uh, like Gemma and I we were laughing at there's like this conspiracy theory that Kylie Jenner died in 2013. And then it's like one of those QAnon things that like then like a clone that doesn't even look like her replaced her and that's why she looks so different now. Like there's such a layer of like the, of, 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 of like through plastic surgery but also through like watching themselves on TV for so many years and like being watched and that like strange hyper real simulation of a simulation ad infinitum. I think that that also like lends itself to the pattern of how they react to something which is like very much so fake. Because I think that like if my dead dad was talking to me, I would freak. Like I just, I would, I would like, I would, I would like have a panic attack, especially if it was like a surprise. You know what I mean? You're like, what the fuck? What the fuck? This is so insane. What is this? But they're just like, they understand it as something which is like a gesture of care and a gesture of warmth. So, you know what I mean? It's just like, because they're so used to all these layers of, 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 of like the hyper real masquerading as the real or the fake masquerading as the real, as the fake, as the real. I think that this is like, this is like a system of, of of like of like how they identify like emotionality yeah i would also say that they are as a family so so tied to their memories and um like emmett in the show they often say like oh we have the best collection of home movies they're kind of obsessed with their archive and in the, this last season of the show where it's ending, that kind of is like a recurring theme is them kind of like reaffirming the things that have happened. And they're all very attached to the memory of their father. And I feel like this was a really clear example of that because, you know, I like hologram doesn't have to be a resurrection of somebody who's dead. Like it could have been any it could have been any hologram. It could have been like Kanye performing, you know, it could have been, but the fact that it was a version of him way before he died, like when he was much younger and kind of speaking in this way as if he was there in that moment, but from this, from this long ago time that really doesn't represent who he was when he died or anything like that. I think that that kind of shows or like affirms this idea that they're like, they believe in memory they like nostalgia. They like kind of living in those ways. And I think that that is really represented by this because. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, what you were saying about archiving and, and bringing back the father um, just made me think of better off. I kind of want to just like make that connection now because I hadn't seen it before, but now I'm like, Oh my God, totally. So for anyone listening, um, better off was it, late 20th century or late 19th century early 20th century librarian and philosopher and writer um, and kind of mystic but he would have rejected that term but he was like a devout orthodox Christian and was completely dedicated to the idea that the gravest moral failure of humankind was the fact that people still aged and died and that we had not devoted our total the totality of our human intellect and labor towards the task of immortality and resurrection and this was kind this kind of came from his christianity um like the idea that, that the resurrection of jesus and the fact that jesus was also a resurrector was not like a metaphorical thing or should not be strictly confined to the realm of the metaphysical or like heaven or the after afterlife that these things should be 
addressed through the lens of modernity and technology and that these were things that we could actually achieve in this world. Um, and it was also a sense of debt. So the whole idea of resurrection for him was about repaying debts going all the way back to Adam by resurrecting fathers. And this is the phrase that he used. We resurrect our fathers so that our fathers can resurrect their fathers and so on and so on, all the way to Adam and then God himself. And it's like, okay, well, that's what Kim is doing. That's what Kanye is doing. It's like bringing back the father, bringing back Rob. Um, yeah, I, I just, I had not thought of that co connection. But when you were talking about archiving, the fact that they have this archive at their disposal, and they're really fixated on collecting all this information, storing all this information. Fedorov, the way that Fedorov thought about museums, like the whole point of museums for Fedorov, was a way of collecting all of the data on all of the humans that had ever lived so that with uh, sufficient data, we would be able to reconstruct these people and bring them back to life, um, like reverse engineer them with the data that, that we had left. And like, who is in a better position to do that in this world than the Kardashian family with the, the last 20 years of their lives completely documented? Um, and probably even going back before keeping up with Kardashian started, like. Uh, you know, the intense media coverage of the OJ trial and stuff like that. Like, they have doc documented everything. Um, mm -hmm. So they're in a better position than almost anyone in the world to realize Fedorov's plan for themselves. Like, they've, they've got it locked down, you know? Yeah, and season one, episode one of the Kardashians is about kind of like the misplacement of the archive because uh, Kim's sex tape with Ray J gets leaked. And I, I think that like that 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 false archive or that like misconstructed archive that's become this kind of like American phenomena, along with Paris Hilton sex tape and like the notion of the celebrity sex tape, um, like that's what sparked the whole show. And then that that also, so I don't know much about Alexander Svyatogor. Uh, like you could probably say you could probably give a little history on him, Emmett, but something that I was really into was what he was, uh, he writes in a Biocosmos Poetics, he says, rather than historical or psychological aesthetics, teleological aesthetics is of central importance to us. Um, and for those of you who, like me, needed to look, needed to remind ourselves uh, what teleology meant, um, it's the it's it's a philosophical word that's meaning the the explanation of phenomena in terms of the purpose they serve, rather than of the cause by which they arrive. Um, so this may be like a little bit like like too big a leap for what like a teleological aesthetics would be, but to me it's kind of like it it, it reminds me of like this reversal of how I guess I guess like via like capitalist aesthetics, for example, we understand causality, which is also something that then Mackenzie Wark talks about a lot in terms of Alexander Boganov, Bogdanov, sorry. Um, you know what I mean? I, f I feel like there is this reversal in biocosmism, which what you said, Emmett, about like, about like the archive as a literal remembrance going back to Adam, like resurrection as a remembrance, as a reordering, as like a going backwards. And to me, that was fascinating in contrast to what a lot of these thinkers were saying in terms of notions of like infinity. Totally. 
Yeah, uh, I just want to say a quick thing in response to that. Um, I, I can't remember the word that he uses, or maybe this is other people writing about him that use this word, but uh, the realization of Fedorov's plan um, is is sometimes described or thought about as like a reverse of the Big Bang, um, because everything we, we are pulling back from the past and it kind of dissolves time, dissolves the idea of causation. Um, and, uh, or causality. Um, and yeah, it's not just the fathers and so on that we're resurrecting. It's actually every bug and fish and bacterium that's ever lived that, that we are going back and bringing back and reanimating into existence. Um, and that's something, something else that Mackenzie Wark talks about in the introduction to that, which is cool is like, that is already our impulse as a civilization, as evidenced by our obsession with reanimating dead carbon in the form of fossil fuels. Yeah, like, that's great. Carbon liberation front is this idea that we are trying to already resurrect everything that's ever lived by digging up all the dead carbon in the earth and burning it up in the atmosphere, bringing it back to life and then using it functionally. I'm curious about kind of talking about how like how this kind of resurrection theme might point to this towards this future idea that like the the biocosmos or the co the cosmos sort of laid out and also Phoebe you and I have this are kind of interested in this conversation right now of like what's next for reality tv like what does the future of reality tv hold and I think that these last couple the this last season has been all about these reveals of um like of like how the show is made and all these kinds of things that we don't usually get to see. And I feel like this hologram was kind of like a major reveal. It was kind of like the last reveal, which is in very similar to Baudrillard's kind of idea of like the hologram as like the end of illusion. Um, and I think like that is also kind of think, I was thinking a little bit about the readings about biocosmism and that we're, we're looking toward, they want, the biocosmists wanted to look towards a totally new era of immortality and infinity. Like we've been living in an era of death and they're looking towards an era of immortality. Um, and it's a new phase, but there's no illusion in that. Like in the immortality there, the illusion is gone. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know, I would like to hear what either of you have to say about that. Yeah, I, I, love, I love this idea of, of immortality or just like, or, or just like the uh, like like a resurrection of a hologram as a form of immortality compared with a bunker. Like there's a there's there's definitely a relationship. The relationship between a hologram and a bunker they're kind of two opposite things. But we but we kind of just like we're, we've been grouping them in the same like weird sci-fi like hyper uh, real having to do with a lot of money going forward futurist ethos. Yeah, so like in terms of the relationship between the bunker as a way of extending life in the real and the hologram as a way of extending life artificially, that's also kind of like the relationship between mind upload, um, where a person uploads their consciousness and then that consciousness is re-simulated artificially in a digital matrix of some kind, versus something like cryogenics where you actually freeze your body and your organs and... Uh, what is it? What is 
they put antifreeze, they replace your blood with antifreeze, and they put you in liquid nitrogen. And it's this extremely violent process that if the, the body maintains any sensitivity in this like half death state, it would be the most brutal thing ever. So I'm terrified of cryogenics. But yeah, it's like cryogenics is the bunker, and then like the hologram is the digital upload. And um, I don't know, there's this question that is like kind of the stoned undergrad philosophy major version of the uh, like the problem of continuity with uploading is the ship of Theseus idea, which is if you gradually bit by bit replace all of your analog neurons with digital neurons, like artificial neurons, um, at the end of that process, all of the neurons in your brain are artificial. Is it still you if they replace one by one? Like with the ship, it's like if you take a ship and it's sitting in the port for a hundred years and then boards decay one by one. So every year you'll replace one board of the ship. And then at the end of a hundred years or so, or I guess whatever, how, however many years, is it the same ship at the end? Um, this is not all totally related. I'm sort of rambling, but I did want to say about the bunker episode real quick that it's a psyop. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent a psyop because, okay, first of all, that bunker was some lo-fi bullshit. There are luxury bunkers, and instead they had this guy, like, what was his name, Joe? They literally love that guy. What is his name? Joe, I wrote it down. No, it's not Joe. Rob no. Hubbard. Rob. Joe, Joe Rogan. Joe, it was Joe Rogan who, on the side, <laughs> runs a bunker hustle for billionaires. Um, no, it is. it makes me so mad because, like, the thesis of the episode at the end is, like, oh, they're in this bunker for, like, four hours, and it's really hot and uncomfortable, and it's, like, a tube, and the TV doesn't even work. And then she talks to her old, aging, dying mother or grandmother who's, like, hey, I'm doing great. And she, Kim is, like, I learned a lot from my grandma because, like, what she says basically is, like, now I know that what you really have to do is age and die. Like, she doesn't use those words, but that's like, she's like, what I learned from my grandma is you, all of you in the audience, you're going to age and die. And I'm a multi-billionaire celebrity mogul. And there's nothing I could do about aging and dying because that bunker was ugly. So you're all going to age and die, which is complete bullshit because everybody knows you could go on like CNN and they have stories about like gorgeous luxury bunkers with conv convincing artificial light that mimics like the seasons and they're really beautiful i would stay there so yeah i don't know the episode is a what do you guys think well yeah we yeah 100 percent. i think that that's actually right i mean ha have you seen under the silver lake um another like oh, yeah. very college freshman stoner just hit the bong bro movie um but that that movie is kind of interesting because it's like it's like the joke of like it's not just that they're building the bunkers for when apocalypse happens it's like people get so rich that they like literally want to go underground and like simulate their own death you know because it's like better than the world above yeah like the, the like the reality or like the reality for the rich um is is actually happening below ground um and I was reading, I was reading about uh, the multi-billionaire bunkers, which reminded me so much of like, I don't know, like at the beginning of COVID, you were seeing all these like cut articles or whatever about like, about like the hyper rich, they like had all their on-call doctors and they had like the top of the line COVID tests. And my big PSYOP theory is that like this whole, like, I don't think any of them actually ever had COVID, especially in the, in the episode 
of the hologram episode when Kim is like, I have COVID, oh my God, I'm gonna fail my baby bar. I, I, I think that they've been vaccinated since like before COVID even started, you know what I mean? Like ever since like the CIA was developing like the, the synthetic COVID in the Wuhan lab, and then it got leaked into the wet market. Um, I think that they've been vaccinated since before that, you know what I mean? Because just like the notion of sickness and the notion of death, like even following this like weird immortal infinitude of the biocosmos, I realized through Mackenzie Ward that a lot of these people are like Marxists. And I think that there's this, there's this uh, argument that again, is a little bit like stoner basement, freshman, boy, male, whatever, you know, that it's like only through the lens of class that things like death and sickness can, can happen to, to you and that the rich use simulations of sickness and simulations of death to convince people in classes below them, like the 99%, the 99.999% that those things are normal. Emmett, can you give us a quick run that, like a quick definition of the kind of biocosmism? Biocosmists were a group of thinkers like pre, mid, and post uh, revolutionary uh, early, early 20th century Russian thinkers that if there was a thesis for the biocosmos, it would probably be that, uh, what is it? I'm trying to remember the quote from this Alexander Svyatogor essay, which is, I, I don't know if, I can't remember which essay this is from, but it's death is the supreme evil, life is the supreme good. And I think that's like a fine moral stance to take. Um, and then the way that they articulate this moral stance is that anything less than immortality uh, among the stars for the maximum human population sustainable by the cosmos is grievous sin to humanity. Um, and then this is interpreted in different ways by different thinkers that get grouped in with biocosmism. And biocosmism is this large umbrella that um, I think really only the only like people or group that I could think of that associated with the title biocosmism was like Alexander Svyatogor, who wrote that essay, Biocosmos Poetics. And then he wrote this other essay called The Doctrine of the Fathers on anarcho-biocosmism, which is a really cool essay. Um, yeah, and it's just the idea that the maximum, well, first of all, in, from a Marxist perspective, it's the idea that time is, as long as people are mortal, time will be a form of private property, because as long as you are living and others are not living, you are hoarding time. You are a, a bourgeois owner, propertarian of, of time itself, because you're alive and other people are not this reading of time itself as a, a bourgeois asset uh, that can only be abolished with the abolition of death and aging and the resurrection of the dead, which I, I honestly agree with completely 100%. And I, I should really? right now that, yeah, I'm a, it, I'm 100% advocate for immortality for all among the stars. That's like my, that's my political doctrine. I think I, I read this funny tweet that was totally a joke by this guy, Fred Sharman, who's like a space architect and a cool writer. He was making fun of the biocosmos, but I just completely agree with him. He said, uh, immortality for all among the stars, anything else is a weak centrist compromise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, 
honestly. So yeah, well, that's Biocosmos. And there's a lot of interesting stuff. Other people that are associated with Biocosmos, like Alexander Bogdanov and Konstantin Tsiolkovsky, that we, I think we should talk about Tsiolkovsky because he's fucking crazy. I was, I was just going to bring him up, actually, because um, I don't know. I don't want to live forever and I've never wanted to live forever. You know what I mean? And it's like, not just because like I'm on Lexapro and like I have like active depression, you know what I mean? (laughs) It's not like a suicide wish. It's just like, I am me. I mean, something that like, uh, really makes me, it's just like, I don't want to say environmental colonialism because like environmental colonialism is like, is, it's not exactly how you would group that, but but it but it but it kind of also is like again I'm all over the place um, but the Kardashians speak in superlatives and that's just kind of like it, it's it's a way of speech that they do they go like I'm the most this I'm the most that like this is my favorite day yada yada and it's like it's very obvious seeing one episode that they speak in superlatives and I kept thinking of that reading Sviatovsky Sviatovsky Sviatovsky. Um, because he's kind of speaking in the superlative of environmental colonialism. You know what I mean? Like he, and he understands, like one of the reasons I don't believe in immortality, one of the reasons I don't want to live forever is because I really just don't understand humans uh, as like the kings of the universe. Like I actually think, I, I believe that it's completely unethical to, 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 to quote unquote, like master the universe as like someone like Sviatoski is thinking of. And to me, it's like, it's just like completely, it's like hilarious to think of like, it's almost like ship of Theseus to like, uh, to like build this raft over the Pacific ocean, like, like brick by brick. So it's like ever expanding and it obviously wouldn't work. I don't want to interrupt you. I just want to clarify real quick that I, I think Tsiolkovsky is one of the most egregious and evil thinkers who's ever lived and I don't agree with almost anything that he says I mean I'm not I'm not like judging your I'm not like judging your character it's just like to me it's just like this fascinating like like obsession I'm not saying you're obsessed but maybe you are obsessed I don't know I'm not judging you either way but just like it's like this fascinating obsession that some people have with immortality and I think that it's it, and maybe it's just like both my grandmas are like psychiatrists or whatever. I think that it's just like like this human relationship to control and and this like Western relationship to 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 control of 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 not only you know humans who who like because even even Sviatovsky is like we like the darker humans can run around naked while we build these rafts going forward. So there's definitely this like incredibly racist part of his argument. So it's like not even control over like people who are not white, but it's also control over over like life-giving substances such as the ocean, the air, the atmosphere. And it's like my, my dad always says, cause I used to be very scared of apocalypse. And my dad used to say, listen, like if a nuclear bomb hit New York I hope it would hit me first right in the ass. And I kind of like agree with that, you know, when apocalypse hits, hits, like I literally want to be the first one to die. So it's like, what? I guess my quest, that was like a very like long ramble, but like through this theory that you've presented us with, what, what intrigues you about immortality? Because I'm assuming you're not a billionaire. So it's not like you're like Kim Kardashian, you're going to live in one of these like insane bunkers. Like what, what is it about immortality that makes you like desire it? Yeah. 
I mean, okay, so first of all, Tsiolkovsky is a bad dude, and I have some conspiracy theories that, like, Russian petrol oligarchs and the whole global order at this time that is based on fossil fuel extraction is actually, like, a secret conspiracy to realize Tsiolkovsky's vision as laid out of increasing the atmospheric CO2 by 3,000% in order to melt the polar ice caps summer all year round kind of thing. Um, and yeah, so, so I don't agree with him. Um, and he, he, I don't know that he talked about immortality explicitly. Svyatogor has this very adversarial patriarchal nature with, with, uh, patriarchal relationship with nature that I don't agree with at all. A lot of the biocosmists did. They sort of portrayed nature and its problems in this adversarial relationship with humankind mm -hmm. uh, that's very patriarchal and it's like we can only understand nature as something to dominate as this blind force that we need to bring to order this chaos that we need to and i don't agree with that at all um and even like the ones that i think are really that, i mean all the russian cosmos are older like early 20th century bolshevik dudes a lot of them like alexander bogdanov even he uh, describes nature as, as something that we have to conquer. Um, so I don't see immortality that way. Like if there were, if there were perspective or like an ideological framework that I would use to describe like my interest in immortality, it would probably be more aligned with somebody like Hiroko I, Hiroko I, who's a fictional character in the Mars trilogy by Kim Stanley Robinson. She is a biosphere designer. She's one of the first hundred settlers to go to Mars. Um, and uh, basically she starts this fringe, fringe group of ecologists on Mars that go off uh, from the main colonists and start like this underground colony at the pole. Uh, and she develops this kind of religion called Ariophany, uh, which is and it's based on the notion of uh, Veriditas, which is comes from Hildegard von Bingen, and it's the idea of the holy greening power of life, the idea that life is precious and and one should do everything they can to defend life, in all forms, in all iterations, everywhere, um, and it's the the idea of the religion of Ariophany and Veriditas is like just the worship of life, basically, and. I think that I agree with that. And I think that like, I love life. I think it's amazing. I love experience, experiencing things and looking at things and learning things. And I think that like what I feel when I'm experiencing things and learning things, and this does kind of come from Tsiolkovsky, but a totally inverse kind of point thing is like, I'm a part of the universe. Everyone's a part of the universe, yada, yada, yada. So when I learn something about the universe or experience something or like look at pretty sunset or like look at Mars through a telescope or whatever and appreciate the universe, it's actually the universe appreciating itself. And what I feel is like love for the universe, but that's actually the universe feeling love for itself. And that's something that I think should be preserved as a kind of universal self-love um, is the idea. So I don't know. It's not that other people won't come along if I die or if any of you die, but I also think that like consciousness is really precious and uh, there's nowhere near enough to learn about or experience within the puny primate lifespan. I think like even a thousand years sounds like a very small lifespan.
terms of what there is to be done and learned. So I agree with Svayatogor and these other dudes when they talk about living forever, but that's kind of where I draw the line because their attitude towards nature is really like the reason the world is so terrible right now. <laughs> you know? uh, yeah, I think, I think what's interesting about the conversation about immortality and like these readings and the kind of like technological hologram bunkery kind of stuff is like, and Emma, what you were saying earlier about Fedorov's kind of idea that museums should be basically collecting data of people, you know, of like people's lot, you know, people's information. And um, it's interesting to consider like, like different kinds of immortality, right? Like, like in a way, Robert Kardashian has achieved immortality because no one can stop talking about him in terms of the OJ trial, his family's famous, and he was just brought back as a hologram. Like, I think there's many different, and obviously that's not Robert Kardashian experiencing consciousness, which is what you're talking about, Emmett, but I feel like there is a changing sense of the way that we think about immortality. Cause I think there's some, there's some like ways that you think of immortality as like, oh, you freeze yourself and then you wake up, you know, how many years later, or you figure out a way, there's a fountain of life, like very, you know, old tropes. Like there's a fountain of life, there's a fountain of youth, um, which is something that I always mapped onto reality TV. Like this kind of like obsession with plastic surgery is like, oh, you're trying to like, you know, have eternal youth. But I think that we're entering something more complicated than that and more technologically based. I think that this idea, like, like I think that immortality is more based about like people's information and, and data being stored and being kept and being, and that obviously is not a, uh, is not cognitive. It's not like a consciousness that's being experienced, but I think that's more of like what the, what like the immortality is that maybe the Kardashians are interested in or that the biocosmists were even kind of thinking about because they were thinking about a lot of different kinds of ways of like changing language and philosophies you know they were they were considering like a real change of of ways of being that would therefore kind of enhance and continue life yeah and I right and I think that like there is definitely just to go back to like Mackenzie works and maybe it's not illuminating but for me it was illuminating understanding of um oh my god but but I'm sorry I'm like so what's his name Bog Bogdanov I am like I'm Russian but I can't pronounce the fucking names <laughs> of of like of You're like hello Russian maybe <laughs> Phoebe Kaufman. No, I'm from, I'm telling you, I'm from a Belarusian town, a Hasidic Belarusian town called Dukshets. I fucking swear to God. <laughs> Dukshets. That's a, that's another story though. Talk about going back in time. You know what I mean? Um, like Dukshets. Yeah. Talk about the floating signifier of space and, and colonialism and building rafts. Anyways, um, immortality has always been, it's been an expression of, of the like immensely wealthy. You know, you have all these like medieval emperors all the way from like China to, to Europe to, to wherever. And they were all fucking like drinking mercury because they thought that mercury would, would make them live forever. 
there's a relationship, obviously, and I think that it's too easy to say that it's like the power trip of the wealthy in terms of like having order over the universe, not just in the present, not just in their lifetime, but in lifetimes to come. And I think that in a, in a way, in a, in a, in a, via the Marxist tradition, the biocosmos put their finger on, on, on that class sensibility. I think, yeah, I think like there's an interesting conversation to be had about what, and you started talking about this, Gemma, like what immortality might mean to different people in different situations. But the Kardashians, like maybe, I, I personally think that they will be around at least, at least, uh, you know, Kim and Kendall and all the sisters and all them will be around in time for like profound innovations and biological longevity. Um, I won't like make any, I don't, have any informed opinions regarding the feasibility of uploading and brain scanning within their lifetimes um, or within ours. Um, but I'm like pretty optimistic about that kind of stuff, even though I'm not sure whether it'd be an adequate screen cap of consciousness or whatever. But, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, in terms of the class stuff, like I think there's the value from a class perspective of insisting upon something like immortality, which many of us would construed to be an impossible demand um, immortality and there's this argument about like well people are talking about living forever like first let's have healthcare first let's have you know the, yeah an obscene portion of the world's population is hungry and um, does not have healthcare does not have clean water um, does not have access to many of the things that we take for granted every day in the Western world. Um, and like those things are all a prerequisite for immortality. You don't get to immortality without any of these other things. So when you demand immortality and freedom in the cosmos for everyone, you're also as a prerequisite for those that you can have immortality and, and interplanetary interstellar intergalactic freedom of consciousness and body and spirit without having first healthcare and clean water. I think it's implied by those things. So yeah, I, I agree that the discourse surrounding immortality has been totally based on class historically. And like one of the first stories we have is Gilgamesh, who's a king, who's yeah. terrible, you know? When you read that story, it's like, oh, this guy sucks. Then he like, I, I can't remember exactly what happens. I shouldn't really <laughs> know it because it's so important. To We've talked about Gilgamesh before. <laughs> on this podcast? Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? and, and his sister, Nana who travels into the, the underworld. In her descent, she finds true evil only to come back up, you know, which is, which is itself like this epic narrative of death descending into the underworld and resurrection, climbing back up, but. Yeah. Well, it's like, I also think of the Isis and Osiris story um, and the iterations of the story, but like, yeah, somebody, I think, I forget who it is, maybe it's Seth or something like that. Chops Osiris up, throws him around uh, and uh, throws him around Egypt and then Isis goes around looking for the different pieces, the disembodied pieces of Osiris um, and then patches him back together and remembers remembers him. Fun fact about the Isis and Osiris, the only part of him that she can't find Penis, right? is his member. Is his member. But yeah, that's like Fedorov. Fedorov talks about 
how in order to resurrect people, we need to build these massive observatories that surround the earth um, that reclaim the dispersed particles of our ancestors. Like that's what's fascinating to me is this like obsession of resurrection to ensure a future. That's what was really fascinating to me about that those those readings is like this idea that like you need to resurrect everything or you need to your mission needs to be partly resurrection if you are considering extending the future or or ensuring the future. Accelerando by Charles Strauss um, and like an interesting book the, the writing style sort of seems like it was jacked from like ccru and nick land stuff from the 90s but it's this sci-fi book like this clearly post 9-11 sci-fi book about the singularity mm. it talks a lot about 9-11 and it's about like the demystification of america with the advent of strong artificial intelligence really interesting um but there, there gets to a point where all these uh, you know, self-replicating robots eat all of the inner planets and build this energy capture thing around the sun. Uh, and they're running super intelligent machines that start resurrecting, you know, like digital state vectors from historical persons that they have sufficient data on. So, for example, William Shakespeare, around that time, we don't have that many people that uh, we have a decent uh, corpus of works from, or a decent um, collection of information or artifacts from which to establish a psychological profile or a neural state vector or something like that. So the amount of information that you leave behind and the prominence of that information relative to the time that it's in is, is or becomes like the primary function in the adequacy of your resurrected avatar. Um, in that regard, the Kardashians will be better suited than anyone else when this when this thing comes around because they've got everything stored. Yeah, because they are kind of obsessed with their archive. And in like the most recent episode, they are developing their time capsule, which they're taking memories from the show and putting them in a time capsule and they're going to bury it in Chloe's new backyard. And they're like, we eventually will go and we will revisit this and we will take this out. And I feel like that has, you know, you can connect that to this idea of like, eventually we will come back. Yeah, going back to go forward, I mean, rem remembrance and reality. And I've, I've talked about this before. So people, all of our avid listeners is probably like, our thousands, of of, our thousands of avid listeners probably bored by me saying this by this point, but reality TV has done this brilliant thing, the semiotic thing of making reality something uh, that doesn't happen in the present, but that is constructed in the past. Because reality has gone from a noun to an adjective. It has gone from something which is to something which describes. So it's this understanding to me of, you know, it's a collapse of the structure of time. It's a collapse of time. Um, and I think that even going back to what we were originally saying about, you know, it's like that strange question, it's almost uncanny of like this, this reaction of like pure empathy to this horrifying hologram of like a dead person who's been gone for 20 years saying something that he's never said before in his life. Like to me, it's the same uncanniness 
or the same uncanny valley almost of the collapse of time where it's just like how do you advocate for the resurrection of the past how do you add like you know and even earlier this year in covid people were betting on 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 oil futures people were shorting oil futures people were betting on them and 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 you know that also has to do with a type of like ecological memory you see oil rigs down 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 they're going further and further into the crust of earth to bring back up for our future and even carbon you can say this as well to ensure the future of the present which itself makes no sense to ensure the future of transportation to ensure futurity and also the fantasy of futurity you you must even ecologically and technologically and socially you have to go down you have to remember and it becomes this irony or this contradiction in in terms of the social ways that were you know that were that were supposed to understand past present future right. mm-hmm. It's like this binary that we have, like, okay, there's progressivism and there's conservatism. And I feel like the most progressive stance that you can take is immortality and freedom of the cosmos for all, in my opinion. But what is the prerequisite of that? And and resurrection, if you add resurrection. Well, what is the result of that? Not not the prerequisite. What is the result of immortality, freedom, and resurrection for all in the cosmos? It's actually really reactionary. Like, Fedorov was pretty reactionary because he was talking about bringing back all these dead racists and imperialists and monarchs, etc., um, and populating the cosmos with all of the, the problematic stances we feel that we've evolved out of as individuals and as a civilization. And he wants to populate the worlds of the ether with those dead ideologies um, so that they would be wildly overrepresented compared to what we now feel are our enlightened attitudes towards certain things. So yeah, it's like what you're saying, um, Phoebe, about like, you have to, in order to go forward, you have to go back. It's like, well, that's what, I think Fedorov was the most um, important futurist of the 20th century, like at least the first half. Um, No one had like a stronger imagination in my opinion relative to their time but but his whole thinking is so reactionary and so conservative when you get the consequences of his thought no how like in order to move civilization forward like as a civilization humans eat energy like that's our food source is is just energy from fossil fuels and energy from the sun and in the past it was energy from metabolism but we are we have a massive appetite for energy that is seems to be growing proportional to time and like if you if you follow that trend what you end up with is this path backwards into time like to move civilization forwards into time like phoebe was saying we we go into the earth we dig up energy and then if we follow this trend outward into the solar system, we just end up dismantling all of the planets for all of the potential ener- energy reserves and Mercury and Venus and Mars and Phobos and Deimos and the Jovian moons and so on and so on until we eat the entire sun, go back to the primeval roots of the solar system, and then we have nothing left but a wisp of smoke where the solar system used to be to feed our rampant appetite for energy in the name of the future. Yeah, I mean, Tsiolkovsky has these fascinating, like, 
like mathematical equations that he comes up with for like exactly how much like food or like energy each individual human would need to survive and it's not even like to survive like at infinitum or just like towards infinity it's just like he's like you need like x amount of land x amount of vegetables x amount of water to survive and what that what that equation ends up being is just like technically if we were to use all of the sun's energy technically um there, there could be, well, I, I forgot the number he uses, but they are like billions of humans that could possibly survive. The reason why I say that is because um, they're, you think about the Kardashians, and I think Emmett, this is like the psyop that you are talking about with their bunkers, is that, you know, the basic argument that they're making is like, oh, you plebeians, like, don't worry, everyone's gonna die. AKA only a select few, only a very small amount of people are going to survive and it's gonna be like Kim Kardashian, Anna Wintour, Jay-Z, Beyonce, Donald Trump, and Putin. You know what I mean? And like Hell of a party. Elon Musk, Grimes, you Dream know. Blunt rotation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they hate to see a girl boss winning. You know what I mean? I um rotation dream with Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk the other night, and it was it was truly a nightmare blunt rotation. No, but, but anyway, what I'm saying is that, again, it, to me, they're just like, there keeps being this easy contradiction. It's not like you need to be a good reader to figure it out. But there's this contradiction between Kim Kardashian saying only like a few hundred people who are the, the billionaire class are going to survive within this biocosmos realm. It doesn't even matter if she knows that's the framework that she's talking through or not. Or maybe, but you know what I mean? Like she's on par with Baudrillard, she's on par with some biocosmism. She's on par with some of these philosophers of, of infinity, you know? But at the same time, she's advocating for only a select few to have access to infinity, whereas these other Marxist un understandings of infinity, and maybe they're, it, it may be false to say they're Marxist, but just for the sake of class, I'll say that they're, the Marxist interpretation has more to do with infinity as, as not only infinity for individuals, but infinity in terms of time, but infinity also, also in terms of the human. Mm -hmm. And I think that you know, Emmett, when you were talking about your own drive towards immortality or what fascinates you or your desire for it, I think a lot is almost that Jungian, like infinite expansion of the collective, collective unconscious. Like, like, like it's, an, it's an infinity along multiple axes, whereas the instances that we see in pop culture and by pop culture, I, I mean the culture defined as real, as the reality, it's kind of opposite. And, and I think in this episode, not that we're gonna find an answer, but a question that comes up for me is, is, is what is the crux of this contradiction? Is it a real contradiction? And, and how do you go forward? Do, can you solve it? 
do, do, do you see what I'm saying? Like, does that, does that make sense? Cause that keeps hitting me point after point. No, I, I see you. I'm like three vodkas in after a hard day at work, but um, I'm at high altitude. So. Oh yeah, you're at high altitude. Everything Phoebe says, take a grain of salt, she's at high altitude. Um, but <laughs> but um, I just like, this might not be totally related to what you were exactly talking about. You're talking about like Jungian kind of thing. Freud's repetition compulsion is a version of this kind of infinity, but it's like a destructive infinity. And it's basically totally connected to his death drive idea. Like basically if it's because it's maladaptive to repeat behaviors over and over and over is maladaptive because you're not adapting, you're not growing and you are getting closer to death and you are getting closer to being like a little version of an organism rather than like a fully formed one. Um, and I feel like that repetition compulsion is really connected to like reality TV where like in, in different shows, but in the Kardashians, if we want to use them, like they're just kind of doing these tropes, like part of the bunker thing, Emma, you've been talking about, which like, it's kind of a psyop, like it's so scripted, right? It just feels so done to give you content for an episode. It really doesn't feel genuine at all, but they're kind of repeating these tropes that they've relied on for 20 seasons to you know make a future kind of occur and um i just think that that's kind of interesting this idea of like repetition as a version of infinity or as an attempt at infinity and i think that one of the types of infinity that's played out again and again is this infinity of repetition and you even see what nori's black book and these like surrogate instagram instagram accounts um, and like, you know, for how many years have people been comparing the Kardashians to the Truman Show? And it's been going on so long that it circles back, it repeats itself back to being talked about on the Kardashians, which is like elementary Baudrillard. I, it's it's I, a difficult part of the conversation of talking about reality television is going through all the bullshit of all the different bullshit infinities to kind of put your finger on the the infinity, which I don't want to say is true, but the infinity which is most cognizant or which is most applicable or explicable by what what they've done to the American or Western psyche or language and even the biocosmists are completely obsessed with a like a, a new order of semiotics. Yeah. Yeah, that's in Biocosmos Poetics, they, and the writing is kind of ugly a lot of the time mm -hmm. uh, because their main obsession is to reject everything that had come before it. And they talk about this also in the Doctrine of the Fathers, which is their rejection of every other anarchist um, doctrine that has come for them and the idea that in order to embrace anarchism we cannot it's what the, the trend that has been established in anarchism up to them is like ideological monarchism where you have these like fathers like whatever Proudhon or like Bakunin or these guys and, and then you cling to whatever they said so adamantly that you totally reject the whole premise of anarchism um, so they're like we are doing away with all of that our new anarchism is about the rejection of all systems that do not affirm life and freedom. 
and the main system which does not affirm life and freedom is death and um yeah no there's one because we because we keep talking about like oh we're in this new age of immortality and infinity but i'm trying to remember what they say before that it's like it's something like we're moving out of the age no yeah human history can be divided into two epochs the first epoch is the age of death and petty deeds <laughs> and the new epoch is the age of immortality and infinity yeah i don't know it's just like pretty metal and i don't agree with their <laughs> their methods for achieving this necessarily even though like anarcho-biocosmism has an incredible ring to it and like i yeah. would not identify with any particular ideology but like if i were to i just like the way that sounds a lot even though the implications sometimes may not be awesome when contextualized within like adversary relationship between nature but even Mackenzie work in those essays is talking about like how do we define nature in these conversations like how are we how are we going to use the word nature and this is something that donna haraway talks a lot about too and like cyborg manifesto and other writings about the relationship between human and nature and nature versus culture like there's this contested possible definition for what nature mm -hmm. is Mackenzie work like as a marxist is like nature is that which labor encounters. Um, and that's a really interesting way of thinking about it from a biocosmist perspective. Mm -hmm. Because labor is imagined as the global activity of realizing resurrection and immortality, then nature is absolutely that which labor encounters and has to directly resist. Um, but that was, that was a, that was a, I, I trailed off a little bit. I think that that's like kind of a perfect place to end. Just just in terms of the biocosmos to like beginning of the world is the end of the world as we know it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, truly. So, you know, Absolutely. the future, if we want it to be, if we want it to go on forever, it will necessitate an ending. And what better parallel than the ending of the Kardashians? which I will be watching from now on. I'm really eager to find out what happens moving forward. Yeah, they're going to start covering, they're going to start, they're going to start covering the Kanye divorce. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Yeah, and then Andy Cohen is going to host. A reunion. I, I think it's going to be a three-part reunion about the last 17 years. So and the ending, wait. I know, the ending is mired by the beginning. We're okay. all caught up, yeah. Just to say that is Andy Cohen's fucking swan song. Yeah, he's been doing these reunions of a season, reunion of seventeen years. He's he's ready to go. So this is what like this is what he's, he's been, been preparing his for. whole life for this moment. You said you brought up the CCRU earlier, so I just want to end with uh instead of the Lemurian time wars, I want to end with the hashtag Kardashian time wars, <laughs> hashtag KKRU. K-K-R-U. So we always end, we've been ending with a really stupid hashtag. So my hash, my ending hashtag is hashtag K-K-R-U. Emmett or Gemma. Research unit. Yeah. Is that, that cool? Love yeah. That. <laughs> uh, hashtag immortality for all among the stars. Anything else is a weak centrist compromise. These are going crazy in oh, here. I right know. Now. It's the dogs agree. Should we end it with the sound of the dogs barking? <laughs>
thank you for coming, Emmett. This was great. This was really fun. Um, uh, thank you for having me. I had a blast. Emmett is a really amazing person, a great friend, great thinker, makes music, has some music coming out soon, I believe. Um, so stay tuned for that. Their Instagram handle is at a bunch of underscores Emmett. You can find it. <laughs> Thanks um, for the promo, Gemma. The music yeah. is going to be released under the name Orgy Chiasma, and okay. Orgy is spelled with an I instead of a Y, and Chiasma is K-I-A-S-M-A. Beautiful. Um, Perfect. We love it. Check love it out. It. Thanks again. <laughs>